Would you pray with me, please? Be with us this morning, God. Quiet our hearts. May our spirits be still, that we might hear from you. Amen. Oh, Peter had heard the message before, seen Jesus preach it himself, seen Jesus live it out, in fact. But hearing something, accepting something in the abstract, paying lip service to something, well, that's that's a far different thing from truly understanding it from letting something really change us from the inside out. I mean, let us consider, Peter Peter was there that day when Jesus preached his first sermon in his hometown. You all remember that, that, that day when Jesus had been crushing it like Billy Graham up there, dazzling the masses until he digressed from his main point in order to remind his listeners that God had healed Naaman the Syrian and had provided food for that widow in Sidon, you know, for those Gentiles. And of course, Peter was there that day when Jesus healed that Syrophoenician's daughter, you know, that Gentile, And then Peter was most certainly there listening that day when Jesus told his famous parable of the man in the ditch, the man who was passed over by those God-fearing Israelites, but then helped by that righteous Samaritan, you know, a Gentile. So yes, Peter has most certainly heard the message before has even accepted the message in an abstract sort of way. But now that the time has come for him to actually embody it, now that the time has come for him to demonstrate that he really believes it, now that it's time for him to show that he truly understands it, Well, now that this time has come, we see that this is anything but simple for him. We're getting ahead of ourselves in this story, though. Let's back up for a second so as to remind ourselves how we got to this moment. If you'll recall, days ago, Peter, at prayer and feeling hunger pangs, suddenly saw a vision And then heard these words in his spirit. Peter, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. Now the vision, of course, had been about eating meat. But minutes later, when an entourage from a Roman centurion shows up, asking Peter to come visit this Gentile leader at his home, Peter immediately senses in his spirit that this vision wasn't just about meat, that the Holy Spirit was prodding him to go to the home of this Roman centurion, 
And not just go to the home, but to go in. In other words, prodding him to go and do that which was contrary to 2,000 years of settled Jewish law and Scripture. And so, you see, it had been one thing to hear Jesus talk about it. It had been one thing to see Jesus do it. But now for him to go and do it? For him to engage a Gentile, and on equal terms no less? Dear family, to understand this pivotal passage, we have to first understand this. Peter did not want to accept this new way of being. Peter did not ask for this vision. Peter did not want the Gentiles to be on even footing with the Israelites before God. But in this passage, Peter comes face to face with an all-important reality. Perhaps as people of faith with the all-important reality. Which is that all human beings stand before God equally loved equally desired, equally worthy, equally unworthy, and equally sought after. It's one thing to say this. It is one thing to even accept this in an abstract sort of way. But it is an altogether different thing to truly Understand it. So let us watch now what happens. Peter arrives with the centurion's entourage and, quote, he went in and found that many had assembled. It's such a consequential line, but we tend to read right past it. He went in. You see, this was the first big breach. He didn't just engage. He went in. And if we can't sense Peter's reluctance in this passage, if we don't sense his fear and his anxiety and his discomfort and his guilt and his trepidation, if we don't sense those things, we don't quite understand yet what it is we are witnessing here. Right now, at this moment in the story, Peter is a man soldiering forward, a man doing what he feels he has to do, what he's supposed to do, what he has no other choice but go and do, but he is a man who nonetheless feels ambivalent about it, uncertain, in some ways ashamed, deeply uncomfortable, not at all yet fully committed. But alas, now he's ripped the band-aid. Now he's in the room. Now he's already broken with norms and customs and laws and mores that have anchored his people for millennia. 
But still, he's resistant. Still, he's reticent. And let us not fail to note, not only resistant and reticent, but also rude, cold, condescending. Well, here I am, he in essence says. And then to make sure that they understand what a minch he is, what a large-hearted person he is, he then follows that with this endearing line. You know, you yourselves know that it's unlawful for a Jew to associate with a Gentile. In other words, I shouldn't really be here right now. You and I both know that this is beneath me. But, he continues... God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. Oh, Peter, what a model of humanity you are. So now, he finishes, here I am. Why have you sent for me? You know, clock's ticking here. My time's valuable. But watch what happens next. Having heard Peter out, Cornelius, the centurion, kindly overlooking Peter's condescension, now answers him by saying, and I quote, Four days ago, at three o'clock, I was praying, when suddenly I had a vision to send for a man named Peter, who was staying in Joppa in the home of a man named Simon. So I sent for you, and here you now are. Well, here's the thing. Peter had been on the other side of this kind of uncanny thing before. Peter had been with Jesus countless times when something Jesus would say or do would then line up perfectly with that which would later transpire. Think, for instance, of that tied-up cult Jesus sent the disciples to get for his entrance into Jerusalem. Or think of that man Jesus told them would be carrying a jar of water when they went to inquire about Passover arrangements. In other words, Peter had seen this kind of thing before. Peter knew what this was and he knew who it was from. He couldn't evade it, he couldn't deny it. It was too compelling. Too overwhelming, too undisputable, too uncanny, too obvious what this was. And thus, like Paul before him, the scales now fell from his eyes. And hear now what he says in response. He says, now I truly understand that God shows no partiality. Now I truly understand. This, dear family, was a watershed moment in the history of Christian faith. And it is rich and remarkable and worth coming back to time and again just to read about it. But the thing that makes this moment so rich and remarkable is that it not only happened but that it happens. 
For you see, every day, not just that day, every day, the Holy Spirit of God comes upon human beings and opens our eyes to the wideness of God's love and to the wonder of God's impartiality. Every day, people are suddenly made aware of prejudices that have plagued us, of biases that have bedeviled us, of distinctions that have divided us. Every day, people experience that which Peter experienced that day, the sudden transformation from being one who accepts something in the abstract to being someone who accepts it in reality. The sudden transition from understanding something in principle to truly understanding it. Yes, the great lesson to be taken from this rich story is the reminder that the Holy Spirit of God is every bit as active today as it was that day. Still helping all of us who follow Jesus Christ as Lord to fully apprehend that which Peter, to his great shock and discomfort, apprehended that day. Which is that we all stand before God equally loved, equally desired, equally worthy, equally unworthy, and equally sought after. Let me tell you a story. It's a precious story to me because it's a story told to me by my grandpa about my grandpa. Toward the very end of his life, my grandpa said to me, Austin, I have something to tell you. And it's something I'm somewhat ashamed to tell you, but I want to tell you anyway. He then went on to say, you know, growing up, I never thought of myself as racist. Even growing up in Tennessee in the 20s and the 30s, I accepted things the way they were, and I didn't harbor any ill feelings or animosity toward anyone. And I thought that was very Christian of me. But then one day, he said, one of my very first days in the service, we came into the mess hall for dinner, and there we were eating in the same room with many of the black airmen. And though I'm now ashamed to admit it, he said, my first instinct was to recoil. Because this just wasn't how things were done in Tennessee. And so I was uncomfortable with it, he went on, because I didn't think that it was right that we were all there eating together. Well, he said, it went on like that each night. And each night I felt uncomfortable about what was happening But I just kept my head down and did what I was told. In fact, gave myself a lot of quiet credit for it. But then one night, I just sat down with my tray when I looked across the room and happened to see a young black airman, a young man just about my same age, bowed over his food and praying. And suddenly, just like that, a revelation came to me. 
And I suddenly thought to myself, if he can pray over his food to the same God I'm praying over my own food to, and if his prayers are being heard in the same way that mine are being heard, then how is he any different than me? And if he's no different than me, then why should we not be here together? And if we are here together, what on earth makes me feel like I'm somehow worthy to be here and he's not? That was the day, my grandpa concluded, that I realized I'd been racist without even knowing it. And that was the day he finished when I committed to being racist no longer. You see, he showed up to the centurion's house. He went in the door. He even engaged in conversation. Rudely, coldly, condescendingly. I gave myself quiet credit for it, he said. But then the violent wind of the Holy Spirit came upon him, opening his eyes and giving him vision And just like that, he went from understanding to truly understanding. From talking about the wide, impartial love of God to actually embracing and stepping further into it. My grandpa died not too long after telling me that story. But it's a story that will stay with me for a lifetime. And it's a treasure for me because I, like my grandpa, like Peter, like all of us, have also had times when that which I professed to believe about God, about how wide God's mercy is, about how much God loves us all the same, I too, like Peter, and like my grandpa, and I'd venture to guess like all of us, I too have had times when the violent wind of the Holy Spirit has suddenly opened my eyes to how much wider and how much deeper God's love and impartiality is to the kind of love and impartiality I claim to operate out of myself. And make no mistake, it's never a comfortable thing for us to be encountered by God's Holy Spirit in this way. It's never a comfortable thing for us to realize that we really are as broken as we profess in our worship services that we are. It's never a comfortable thing to realize that we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory is more than just a pious line for us to repeat from Scripture that we really are all sinners despite our best intentions. No, this is never a comfortable thing for us to apprehend about ourselves. For as Flannery O'Connor puts it, we want our grace warm and inviting, not dark and disruptive. But dear family, the truth about God's Holy Spirit, the truth about the unyielding, unstoppable, transformative, overwhelming grace of God is this. 
it is almost always disruptive. Dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow, as the Scripture says. And oftentimes that grace comes to us in the form of realizing that that which we thought we knew, we didn't really know at all. That that which we thought we understood, we didn't yet truly understand. Well, let us be reminded anew this morning. Let us pray for eyes to behold the vision. Let us pray for understanding that truly understands. That in a world increasingly driven by tribal loyalties and us versus them polemics, that the God revealed in Christ Jesus, quote, shows no partiality. And that he calls out to his disciples even yet, to tear down the walls of division and to draw the circle wide. So come, Holy Spirit, we pray. Come upon us, your people, with your disruptive grace, healing us in our brokenness, and opening our eyes that we may see. Amen. As we prepare now to sing our hymn of response, I will be standing down front to receive any who this morning have felt God's Spirit calling you to follow Jesus as Lord and would like to talk with me and pray with me about that. Just as I will be standing down front to receive any who might feel inspired this day to profess a desire to make Boulevard Baptist Church your home. <laughs>